I am so glad to see you. I was even gladder to hear you sing. I was singing with you. It's uh, an exciting thing to do. My name is Jamie. I'm one of the pastors here at Summit Limestone. Um, I want to thank Joey and Dave for uh, preaching over the last few weeks just to give me a break from Sunday morning so I could concentrate on some other things. We have lots of planning to do because this year is not going as we thought it would. Um, so what do we do? I mean, we're going to finish First Peter today. That's the first thing we're going to do, right? So I, w- I was, I'm ready for that. That's a good thing because that's what I'm about to do. Um, but I want to give some direction on where we're going to go for the next several weeks. Um, initially, it was going to be First Samuel. We're going to jump back into that. And then subjectively and objectively, as I, I was praying through that, it, I just had zero peace about <laughs> jumping back into First Samuel. And then uh, objectively, it didn't seem to, to fit with where we're going to go uh, at this time in our future or our history, <laughs> as the case may be. Um, so we're just in a time like any other. Schools don't know what to do. Governments don't know what to do. Churches don't know what to do. Families don't know what to do. I don't even think my, my, my boys shower anymore, right? They just kind of show up to things, and I'm like, have you showered? You know, and, and I can smell them. So it's just not what we're, we're used to. Everything's out of whack, and I'd like a do-over, you know, if I could do it, you know, for 2020, make a mulligan if we could, because it feels like we're just sitting around reactively waiting for it to right itself, like 2020 is, is on this big pause on everything. But every minute of your life matters, period. For God, for his glory, it's bigger than our story. It's bigger than us. Um, he is not on pause. His, his kingdom is not stalling in its advancement. And so I want us to s- maybe slow down a little bit and talk about that. Uh, the George Barna Group, if you're familiar with them, uh, they re- recently released a study that said one-third of active Christians, active being evangelical and going to church once to twice a month, which is what active is nowadays, um, once or twice a month, that they have unplugged from any kind of Christian uh, church setting during COVID. That includes online streaming, right? And, and that's not casting shame. The thing is, I get it. <laughs> I get it. With small kids and, 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 and maybe feeling compromised, I understand and there's a struggle and tension that I want us to at least be free to say, it's there. I'm not going to pretend it's not there. I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a good pretender. I'm not. All right, so if you want me to pretend, then it's just not going to happen. How do we deal with where we find ourselves? How do, we, how do we lament? How do we do Bible things? Not just pretend it's not there and then try again tomorrow. It's how do we deal with this the way the Bible calls us to deal with it, to talk about things. And so I understand it, but it looks like we're going to be doing this for the foreseeable future. So my concern as a pastor is that we slowly get used to how things are now, and then we have dull hearts towards God and the things of God. How, how and you just think through questions, like have we relied on, on methods and traditions and structures of our worship services more than the desperate dependence uh, on the presence of the Almighty God, that we've got to be in His presence, that, that we are called, we love Him, we want to lay our lives down. Has that gotten in the way? That those once... Uh, things that we relied on, the conveniences that have been stripped away, the things that really got us to Jesus. What is driving us now to Jesus? Is it, was it the, the desire for comfort and structures that made it convenient? Because I don't think any Christian, any, any true Christian, wants to walk away from God. We just wake up and realize that's what's happened. And so I, 
I, I was thinking about that. I, read, I, I was reading through Isaiah this week where God said to Isaiah in Isaiah 6, he says, tell the people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull, their ears heavy, their eyes blind, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Now, we're not Israel. I'm not saying that we are. But the prospect that hearts can become dull, ears heavy, and eyes blind is scary. And I want us to be like the tree in Psalm 1. Right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, who stands not in the way of sinners, who sits not in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water who yields its fruit in season and his leaf does not wither. It's not about the circumstances for Christians. It's about where are our roots? Where are we abiding? It's about who we are, who we have been made to be, what Jesus has done. And then we try to take the world that we find ourselves in and then be Christians there. And so, how are we to be salt and light, sitting on a hill when things are so disrupted? How do we serve our neighbors when they may be afraid? How do we do global missions? When's the last time I talked about global missions? Ah! This kills me. We haven't talked about it. That's on me. They're still there. And this comes out of 1 Peter in the context of suffering while doing good in the midst of it for the sake of the gospel. How do we live as Christians in a pandemic? How do we follow Christ now that things are so different? We used to go to church. Can't really do that now. Well, you're here. It's just not the same. <laughs> as much as I want it to be. I mean, look at us. I can't even spit on you from here. I used to just, we used to have communion down front and I had to move it because I like sprayed it, right? It's just different. How do we love one another? How, we used to gather missional communities in groups of 20, and that didn't include the kids that would come and play in the backyard. We just can't do that right now. We can't go deeper in Bible study like that. How do you think that? Lord, what do you want to do? What are you leading us? What are you going to do? We, we do not exist to serve the systems and structures that the church has provided. Those should serve the hearts of the people who are seeking after God. So we need to change them. We're going to change them. I don't know what we're going to do yet. Maybe we'll, we'll find out something next Sunday. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. That's where I am. So we're going to spend the next nine to ten weeks on exploring the aspect of being a follower of Jesus. When we're stripped of our accessories, our traditions, our comforts, our conveniences, what does a Jesus follower look like today? And I don't have all the answers. But we are not the first people of God to live through difficult, trying, uncertain times. And I know that he will continue to lead the church as he has for millennia. So, trials and uncertain times is where we find Peter's audience, right? And we're going to finish up with with 1 Peter today. They were under persecution from culture or the government or both. And Peter, where we, where we start today and where I'm about to read, he's saying goodbye. Goodbye. And he writes very pastorally now. And Peter wants these believers, these Jesus followers, to thrive in the midst of suffering and to shine for the glory of God and to not make the mistake of looking inward but still continue to look outward. So let's read our text today. 1 Peter 5, if you've got your Bible. Um, we're going to read 6 through 11. I'm going to back up. Joey read that last week. I'm just going to back up for a little bit of context from 6 through 11. And let's read together. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time... He may exalt you, casting all your care, all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion, the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. we got three points today. Number one, you have an active enemy. Number two, active resistance. And then finally, almighty keeper. Active enemy, almighty resistance, almighty keeper. Let's do what we normally do. Let's start with the bad news. Because we, we need good news, but we like to start with the bad news. Because we know the good news is coming every week, right? So, given the circumstances that the readers are suffering and in uncertain times, and, and Joey reminded us last week that Peter kind of set the stage as part, in part of this letter as, as God cares for you. Therefore, here are the ways that he is providing for that ministry, the elders, and, and, and such. He, he cares for you. He now tells them, there's a devil. There is a devil. Satan is real. We actually have an enemy, one who actively wants to deceive, to divide, and to destroy you and the church because that's God's people, and he hates God, and he wants to do that very badly. And interestingly enough, he doesn't say that the the government is your enemy, although the government was not doing Christians any favors at the time. He does not say that culture is your enemy, though they had their share of trials and tribulations from culture as well. Now, we can over-believe or we can under-believe in Satan. That's just the the way it is. Um, In other parts of the world, like India and Nepal, when we go there, when things go wrong, crops die, floods come, sickness is throughout a whole village. It's usually attributed to evil spirits, at least the places that I go. Demons are under every rock, and they're the cause behind everything that goes wrong. And so we, like C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters, would say we would call that superstition, super, above. We overbelieve in the supernatural. In the West, however, we tend to believe kind of the opposite. He is... Um, you know, the opposite approach of what Lewis calls substition or, or under, under-believing, right? We, like, under-believe in the reality of the spiritual world. We brush it off to the degree that we only believe what we see with empirical evidence. I don't understand. Science doesn't say that. And Peter here, he is adamant that there is an enemy. He's not imagined. He isn't passive. He's not a sleeping lion, so that if you stay quiet, and you just tiptoe around him, he'll leave you alone. That, that's not the picture that, that Peter gives us at all. He, he's not going to leave you alone. He is coming after you, not, hey, he's asleep. If you don't mess with him, he won't mess with you. It's, no, he's actually actively looking for you. He's wide awake and he's prowling. That is, he's hungry for your soul. He doesn't want to just give you a bad day. He don't want to give you a hangnail. He wants to ruin your life and your soul, to deceive, to divide, and to destroy you, and therefore, the church, because it represents God. 
powerful imagery from Peter. You have a target on your back. The Apostle Paul says we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with cosmic powers from spiritual forces and principalities. He says the same thing. There's more than you can see. There's more than you can see. There's more than you can see with the natural eye. There's more to our problems than we can see. That's why better education, better medicine, improved economics, different politicians, it doesn't finally fix our problems. It can help. It can change them. There's a spiritual dimension to our physical world. It's just a reality. So don't forget your true enemy. He is the one who wants the church to look like the world and render her ineffective and useless toward the mission of Jesus. He wants us fully consumed and devouring ourselves, turned in on ourselves, so that the world will go and never see a picture of Jesus. And so we just got to be aware of that reality and not nearsighted fighting the wrong battles and ourselves. Number two, active resistance. So we have an active enemy that's looking proactively for us. Thank goodness Peter doesn't leave us with, hey, you got a lion chasing you down? Good luck. Right? Good luck. He doesn't say that. There is something we can do. He says, resist him. Firm in your faith. We can resist. We don't have to be swallowed by anxiety, verse 6. We don't have to be taken in by pride, verse 5. Why are you mentioning those in, in association with the devil? These are specific sins that the, that the devil uses, right, that Peter is explicitly addressing. It may be a different tool, whatever the enemy is using in your life to destroy you right now. Self-pity, holding grudges, unforgiveness, hatred, insecurity. And that some are sins, some are just weaknesses. He will exploit them all. Firm in your faith, he says, we can resist. It's not inevitable that you fall into it. But it feels like it sometimes. We need these verses. Those of you who are holding on day by day right now, worried about the school decisions, they're going so far. Will that change? What's going to happen? What about single moms that have to hold a job and they're, they're hoping the school stay open so their kid can go to, to go to school so they can keep making money? What happens if they have to come home? What are we going to do? How, am I gonna, how are we going to make it? What does that mean for my job? What does that mean for our kids? How long is this going to last? How are we going to make it? We need these verses. I need these verses. There are so many ways for us to fall into division right now. More than I can count. I'm not going to talk about them because that is another sermon. But I know that we have an unbelieving, watching world. And so I pray that our prayers sound a little bit more like this. Jesus, I don't want to fall into self-pity. I don't want to hold a grudge, especially during this time of relative isolation. Keep me. Would you keep me? Jesus, protect me from pride, blinding me to conversations where I treat others unkindly. Jesus, would you keep me? Would you guard me from posting online condescendingly, self-righteously, or with contempt without even realizing it? God, would you keep me? Father, don't let the enemy exploit my anxiety and my fear. Keep me. I believe. Help my unbelief. Grow my faith. Because you're, you're not alone. You feel like it. 
Go to social media, you really feel like it. If it wasn't bad enough, that will just exacerbate whatever you thought. Oh, confirmation, there it is. Because you, know, you look what you find for. Strike that, reverse it. I'll do a Willy Wonka in the factory. You find what you're looking for. And Peter says the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This is not uncommon. It is not unique to you. The times and the situations and the vantage that you find yourself in, you're not the only one, and you never will be. I've got friends in India and Nepal right now. They've been on lockdown since mid-March. Most of the time, it's lifting a little bit, most of the time they could leave the house once a week between 9 and 12 to find an open store for food. I'm like, goodness, I thought it's bad here. <laughs> I'm really impatient. You know, I'm, it's, uh, you guys are just spiritual giants to have patience and to dis- dis- depend on God through that. I'm not sure I would do so well. We've got to realize that the church is in this together. Yes, the whole nation. Yes, the world. But more importantly, the church. These times have a purpose. Don't think that they don't. You have a purpose. What you do and how we respond and what we do with this time matters. We do not live for ourselves any longer, according to 2 Corinthians 5.15. We live for Jesus. And we are called to a higher purpose and a higher joy. And the cross is the doorway. It is the gateway. That's why we're going to talk about it. So we've got an active enemy. And we can actively resist through faith, not of our own accord, not of our own strength, not by white-knuckling it, not by reading the latest book or or self-actualization or finally getting enough, well, he's a stronger person. That's not going to make it. It's faith in something that's greater than you are. It's not the quality of your faith. It's the quality of the object of your faith. We've got to learn how to live like that. I think we are. Number three, Almighty Keeper. This is where the good news starts coming in. So I can start smiling a little bit, right? Verse 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, full stop. The God of all grace. Peter did not quote that. That came out of him. That phrase, the God of all grace. Not just enough to get you from here to tomorrow. Not just enough to make it so that you can take it from there. Not just enough so that if you knew enough that he'll save you and he'll get you over the hump and then you take it. He's the God of all the grace. All the grace that you need, all that you needed then, and all that you will need ever. That's who he's talking about. And as I was meditating on that this week, what does it mean, the God of all grace? And, and Spurgeon wrote a book, All, all of Grace, and and I was just remember when I was a 9 or 10-year-old standing next to my mom in church one morning. And we sang Amazing Grace, and I'd been recently saved. And I just broke down in tears as a child, just amazed that God loved me in spite of the, 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 the rebellion in my heart and how I wanted to have my own way, and then I just didn't want to follow him and the sin that I had in my heart. And I just broke as a child. And I was thinking about that this week. I'm 46 now, and I sing the same song, and it means so much more to me, but nothing has changed other than my experience of God's grace. The song is still the same. God is still the same. 
My experience of God has just deepened, and my sin, I see it more, and I see how I'm not o- almost okay except for this one or two things here, and I'm like, I'm so far from that. But I'm also so much more righteous now because of what he's doing in my life, and I'm just humbled. It was a moment to just say, thank you, God, that you still love me. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, it, grace is what we need in such a time as this. To, to really experience that, to not go, well, you know, here's what's right and here's what's wrong. Good luck. I mean, I have the facts. That doesn't work in a relationship. It may be true. You may win the argument and lose the relationship. I'm not saying I don't care about truth. Not at all. But we can't just do truth without love. That's what we're commanded so vehemently in Ephesians. He gives us grace, and he gives it freely that we might not just receive, but be conduits of it, right? That he gives not just for us to have, but so that we share unmerited favor that you cannot earn, that you can't measure up to, that you do not deserve, that you cannot pay off, free, but precious. That's what he's talking about, that it's jaw-dropping as to why a holy God who has zero needs, who is perfectly happy in within himself, would pour out his grace on us, his enemies, that said, we're good, thanks. Having no idea what awaits us. And he pours out his grace on us. But, as Peter says, that doesn't mean we bypass the suffering. We do not. Christian worldview does not bypass suffering. It is not health and wealth gospel is not prosperity gospel. Jesus didn't live like that. It is in the suffering and becoming like Jesus as he walked to the cross that we receive the benefits that Peter is talking about in verse 10, or at least where we see them most clearly. It's in the suffering and going into the tomb and, and experiencing what, what, what we have, may have over and over and kind of rehearsing the gospel that the benefits of being restored and confirmed and strengthened and established ring so loud. That's when you see the gospel burn brightest. God does have a great plan for your life, don't get me wrong. But it's about his glory and your ultimate joy in him. Not in what you procure in this world. It's not about better cars. It's not about your dream home. It's not about longer vacations. And it's probably not going to look like you thought it would look. When everything doesn't work out according to your plans, and we finally see, ah, my family didn't go like I thought. My job didn't go like I thought. I didn't get the raise. We didn't, I can't even take a vacation this year. We can't afford it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford for, to, to, to work and take care of daycare. Ah, we see. There must be something greater to set my heart on than what it was hung up on. That was just a cheap imitation of the real, that when you get the gospel, you get God. You get him, an eternal relationship, everlasting magnificence of one who loves us, that created the universe, that actually cares for us. That's the true treasure that Peter says, here it comes. It's bad. It ain't that bad. In fact, this may be as close to hell as you ever get. 
And so he says in four words that are the benefits of the gospel. They are not the gospel. They are not the cross. They are the, the results of the cross. You get to be restored and confirmed and established, strengthened and established. So let's take those four words apart real quickly. Number one, restore. So this, this word restore is the same one used earlier in Matthew when the disciples went out, they went fishing, and you remember they were, oh, they got, Jesus said, cast your nets, and they pulled all these fish in. There's so many fish, they didn't know what to do, and the nets started breaking. The word used there for them mending the nets is the same word used for restore from Peter. It's to mend. Uh, other translations say to perfect or to make complete. Right? Jesus is in the process of restoring us. Just like he restored Peter, who wrote this letter. You see why that pops off the page? <laughs> the word restore. Jesus will restore you, just like he did me. Peter, who in his anxiety, we just said, cast all your cares, cast all your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. Peter, who in his anxiety and fear, when Jesus was walking out on the water, Matthew 14, and he runs out, I'm going to run, I'm going to go see Jesus. Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And I'm out. I'm out. Wait. Oh, that's, that's the storm. And he starts to sink. Save me. Right? Peter knows anxiety. Cast, cast that on Jesus. He cares for you. Peter, who in his pride declared to Jesus, I'll never deny you. Right? These guys may. These disciples, these other 11, these losers, they will, but not me. I'll go to prison and to death if I have to. Right? Peter knows about pride. That's why he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Please don't be like I did. I was there. You don't have to. You'll do it if you don't. Peter knew about pride. He's not telling us to do impossible things. He's just saying, here's what I did. And here's what it looks like. And for you is to trust Jesus, to depend on him. He will restore you. Just like he did for me. When he made fish on the beach for breakfast that day after I denied him, after I failed him, after I did everything I said I wouldn't do, after I gave up on myself, after I couldn't forgive myself, I just went back to fishing, he came and restored me. This is the Jesus I'm saying. He will restore you. Trust me. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. Confirm, the next one. This word has to do with the idea of not toppling over. Like, you know, if you're just kind of walking, you're a little, little top-heavy. That's what the word confirm means. I got some help from Alistair Begg on this one. I needed help. <laughs> like, what does that mean, sir? You know, it's like a child learning to walk, and then may lose your balance and fall at any moment. And to be confirmed is to be held and righted. I was seeing a, a patient from my physical therapy job a few a long, long while back, and this lady had had a long-term disease. She was in the hospital for a long time um, from a, a severe disease, and she was unable to walk. And she was independent before she went in, and she really wanted to walk again. And so I, I visited her at her home, and I, I helped her to stand, and um, I helped kind of, she was kind of small, so I just kind of cradled her, just let her kind of, her old back was just right here. And I was just like, let's just stand right here. I got you. And she hadn't been upright in a long, long time. 
and, and when she knew for the first time in a long time that she wasn't going to fall, you know, because to, to small people, I'm very strong, right? So <laughs> not to most people, but to small people, I, I'm, very, I'm very masculine. And, and so I, I had her right there, and she knew she wasn't going to fall. And she just took a step. And she took another step. We walked all the way to the kitchen. And we turned around, and we walked all the way back. Because she knew she had been confirmed. She had been kept from toppling over for the first time in months. Strengthen means to, to firm up. It is the opposite of what happens to our bodies as we age. Right? Our abs do not tend naturally to drift toward firming up. I don't know about you, but you have to really work on that for not to, to we, like, we don't tend to drift toward holiness. You know, nobody just kind of wakes up in the morning and feels like they need to, they're, they're just, wow, I'm, I'm very spiritual and, and, and godly right now. You know, you, you have to kind of combat that. You don't drift toward it. You don't drift toward being firm. Now, this word has less to do with our physical strength and more to do with the sense of a firm attitude or firm beliefs. It's the same word used by Jesus, again, when Peter is talking, uh, or Jesus is talking to Peter about his denial in, in Luke 22. And Jesus says this, Simon, Simon, which is, is Peter, uh, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen, there it is, your brothers. Same word that is in both places that Peter heard from Jesus. Now he's saying, strengthen. What, what Jesus told me? Yeah, that. You. Us. Peter is speaking from experience, not just theory. Not only does he know that Jesus strengthens him, but as a follower of Jesus, that you can be strengthened and also be part of strengthening others. It, it comes in and it flows out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's the same thing. It's not in to stay, it's in to go. Church gathered, therefore church scattered. Same thing. Small, big scale. And the, the disciples were going to need Peter to strengthen them in the book of Acts, which we see happen. Suddenly there's this new man named Peter standing up and preaching with not only humility, but boldness at the same exact time. Totally different person. Finally, establish. It means to, to lay a foundation, to have a pile driver go deep down into the bedrock of the earth so that skyscrapers don't fall over. Right? It, it, it's steadfast is a biblical word for that. To keep from collapsing. You see, not only does Jesus keep us from toppling over for confirm, but he keeps us from collapsing from beneath as well. I mean, you're covered. Right? You're covered. Front, back, top, bottom, you're covered. This think Sermon on the Mount, and, and when Jesus gets to the end, he's talking about the guy building his house on the sand and building the house on the rock. And when the winds came and the storm blew, the guy that built his house on the sand, it just washed away because there was no foundation. He was not established. He was not steadfast. Same with the parable of the sower. Pick one. Right? If you don't have a foundation, you can't weather a storm. Or think of a root system, tomatoes versus oak trees. Tomatoes are about, you know, three months, four months. If you're my tomatoes in my backyard, you just grab them and pull them right up out of the ground. That root structure is weak, if not diseased. Oak trees survive for hundreds of years in storms. They have deep roots. They're established. They're firm. They're steadfast. We can 
weather storms of life by consistently abiding in Jesus, walking in the means of grace, reading the word, praying, gathering. Our roots grow deep. Don't expect that if you're not abiding in Jesus. Don't expect to get the results of the means of grace without participating in the means of grace. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm telling kids stories. I don't know why I was into my nine-year-old and ten-year-old time this, this week, but Think of steadfast. I think of King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And, and, and Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're like teenagers, and they're in Babylon, and they've been captured by this evil uh, government <laughs> that's just taking, assimilating the entire, all the people of God. And so they, they even give them new names. But right now he's saying, hey, you know what? We got this new uh, idol that we've built. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know what? You need to, he says to them, you better bow to it. Or if you don't, we'll throw you in the fiery furnace. I'm just using the words I remember from 1981, all right, yeah, where I was. And, and the, we're going to heat it up. We're heating that thing up right now, and you're going to burn. I mean, this is really like a child's story, children's story. This is very scary if you think about it. And they were like, okay. And they thought about that. Are they gonna, here, here, here's what I love is their response in Daniel 3. Teenagers, do not undersell yourself, please. You can love God and lay your life on the line just like anybody else. Here's what they said to the king of a foreign power. If this be so, thrown into the fires, the fiery fires, fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. My favorite three words. But if not. established. But if not, O king, let it be known to you, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That is what it means to be established in the faith. It doesn't mean there's no room for you if you blow it. There's no forgiveness. It doesn't mean that. It means you weren't established. You're maturing. You were growing. You will get there. Hang on to him. He is how you will get there. That's faithful, steadfast, established. They didn't believe only if God would deliver them, only if they got healed, only if they got freed. They believed because they trusted God. Whatever. Whatever you want to do. We know that you know best. You are good. I believe that, and and I will die believing that. That's faith. Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. Now, For you, this may happen like it did for Peter temporarily. It happened to him in his lifetime. He was restored on the beach when Jesus cooked him breakfast. It may not. It may be what we have a a fancy word called eschatological, right, restoration or eternal restoration. After you've suffered a little while is what Peter says. And in view with the backdrop of eternity, a little while, even if it's a lifetime, it's still a short time. And I say that to say this because I have a, had a good friend. Um, his name was Dave Busby. And he was probably one of the, he was the most influential youth speaker. There I am again. I'm, I'm like, I'm eighth grade again. Youth speaker of my life. 1988 is when I met him. And he, has a, he had a disease called cystic fibrosis. And if you're not familiar with cystic fibrosis, CF, 
Um, it's a, a lung disease where your lungs are constantly just kind of filling with fluid and you're constantly having to, to, to drain and to get the fluid off the lungs and you're always coughing and it's just weak. And he would tell stories about when he was a kid that he would just sit and just beat his legs because they didn't work right normally and he never could run and he couldn't be on sports teams and he was always in a wheelchair. And he, would just, he just suffered his whole life. Most people that have cystic fibrosis pass away in their mid to early 20s. He was 46, my age. And he would have to be on a, uh, toward the end, he would be on a, lung, uh, a drainage machine before he spoke and after he spoke to youth groups. And he labored, I watched him labor for every breath that he took. And he used to say, <laughs> talking about when he, when he died, he's like, you never know, it might be on this trip, you know. And he just took it really well and he said, Bury me with some running shoes in my casket, because after I see Jesus, the first thing I'm going to do is take a lap. Just, he just had that outlook on life. I'm like, oh, I want to know Jesus like that. Because here's what happened. He learned through suffering to trust Jesus more, not less. Because he was established. And I believe his identifying with Jesus in suffering gave him a more intimate relationship with Jesus. I remember you telling me one time, Jamie, I, I used to pray for healing, and that was not wrong. But then I realized he's not going to heal me. He wants me to stay like this so that my, my preaching has urgency. And so I started praying whatever I need to be a part of to be more like you, Jesus. My favorite part of verse 10 from Peter is that, that God, he says, Peter says, that he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He's not seeing an emissary. It's not an ambassador. It's not an aide. It is himself, just like Jesus did with Peter on the beach. You see how Peter's writing out of his experience. It just keeps popping up. That's three times in this short passage. You are not restored by you're being proven right in an argument, not by the government, not by your spouse, not by your family, not by your job, not by your Facebook debate victories. No, you are only saved and restored by the one who loves you and laid down his life for you so that you can do the same for others. The one who took your place on the cross when you had nothing to offer, when you were an enemy of God. And still Jesus took on flesh. He lived a perfect life that we were supposed to live. He died a cruel death on our behalf. And he received the full wrath of God poured out on him. For those who repent, who turn away from sin and believe, you get to have a relationship with God that never ends. <laughs> That's just good news. That's good. That is good. You get God. You're not restricted. You're not barred. You should be. You're invited into the garden. You're invited into a relationship with him. You, you get benefits that come because of the cross. You get to be restored, you get to be confirmed, you get to be strengthened, you get to be established. But not according to the plan, but because of the person. That's what I want you to hear. So let's abide more deeply in Jesus as we leave here today. Let's pray together. Worship team can come on up. We've got three